The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stocks trying once again to mount some momentum after Tuesday's turnaround fizzled out. Futures, they're in the green, but not by much. Top on investors' radar today, the latest read on inflation, potentially showing a peak in record prices. Would that also mean it's going down? Shares of Coinbase, they're going down. Quarterly results weak and a crypto supposedly tied to the U.S. dollar is now down to 40 cents. And historic confirmation as the Senate signs off on Lisa Cook to join the Federal Reserve's board. And your morning RBI on perhaps the market story of the year, energy, and some surprising new stats on just where you may be getting more of your power from. It is Wednesday, May 11th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for being with us. Let us jump right in now and get right to it. Stock futures, they are higher right now, but not by much. NASDAQ futures, they are up the most, about three-fourths of 1%. Dow futures up about 303, so they have popped in the last literally few minutes or so. All this coming off a mixed and probably disappointing day for many investors on Tuesday because we had futures higher at this time yesterday in the Dow. It ended down. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ did squeak out some gains. All this as the 10-year yield fell below 3%. Right now, those yields are going down again. Benchmark 10-year yield right around 2.94%. There's a very real concern about a slowing economy now being felt in the bond market, the yields get hit and bonds get bought. Oil also taking a hit on that as well. Crude ended yesterday's trading below 100 bucks a barrel, but right now it has popped back up. It is at 103.20. Natural gas also rising again, up about a percent to $7.45. By the way, the U.S. government making some very interesting projections on oil and gas next year. And you're going to want to hear those. They are coming up in your RBI in the later half of the show. And in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether. Well, they're back down again. In fact, well, Ether is up. Bitcoin, it is down a little bit. Ether popping back up. Bitcoin right around 31254 And pay attention to this. The so-called stable coin that is supposed to be tied to the U.S. dollar, the UST, is plunging right now. It is trading down to around 35 or 40 cents, according to CoinGecko. Remember, this stablecoin is supposed to maintain a one-to-one peg with the U.S. dollar. Sister token Luna plunging as much as 80% earlier this morning. We are digging into why on both. I hope to have more for you all day here on CNBC, but uh, this is a bizarre story for both of these coins. and We're going to try to figure out what is going on. All right, let's try to figure out what's going on around the world now. Juliana Tottlebaum is at our London newsroom. With a look at your early trade in Europe, some headlines, and once again, a lot of green on the screen. Juliana. 
Brian, good morning. Well, just like you saw U.S. futures basically pop before your eyes, I'm seeing the same here in Europe. As you gave your, your opening pitch to start out this show, I've seen the CAC 40 over in France cross the 2% mark. So we're now at more than 2% in France. Just about a half an hour or so ago, we were up about 7 tenths of a percent here in the U.K. Now we're up 1.2%. The German market now up about 1%. So the positive momentum has been building throughout the course of the morning. We got some German inflation figures out earlier this morning. It shows that inflation pressures, they remain elevated here in Europe and a lot more focus on the ECB and whether this will tip the balance in the way of raising interest rates sooner rather than later. The only major market trading in the red this morning is the Swiss market down about a quarter of a percent or so. A couple idiosyncratic stories dragging the index down there. Roche, the healthcare giant, is underperforming, namely. Um, a couple stocks in focus I want to highlight for you, Brian. Philip Morris has made a 106 Swedish krona per share cash offer. That's a $16 billion deal for tobacco and nicotine products maker Swedish Match. The maker of snus and nicotine pouches welcomed the bid, saying the deal recognized the group's long-term growth potential for cigarette alternatives. Incredibly strong reaction, as you would expect, were up nearly 10% in Swedish Match. Now, turning to natural gas prices, Ukraine has said it will block the flow of gas through a transit point that delivers almost a third of Europe's supply from Russia. Ukraine's gas system operator has declared force majeure and says it will shift the flows elsewhere, a move Gazprom says is, quote, technologically impossible. So a story to continue to watch. We are seeing elevated gas prices this morning. UK wholesale gas prices up about 10 percent. Uh, Dutch wholesale gas prices, a proxy for European uh, gas prices more broadly, up about a quarter of a percent, Brian. You know, if you want to know more about Ponzi schemes, the best story I've ever read, the best book, is called The Match King. And it's about the Swedish match company's foundings (laughs) back in like the 20s and 30s. A true story about Ivar Kruger. It's just a great financial book, The Match King. Check it out. Juliana, thank you very much. Wow. Thanks, Brian, for the wreck. Yeah, yeah. it's It's a good read. It's a good read. All right. Now to what else is happening right now, including Congress moving forward with providing more money to Ukraine. Silvana Hanau is here with that headline and more. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Yeah, so the House has passed a bill providing $40 billion in new aid to Ukraine. The measure provides funding for a long list of priorities, including military and humanitarian assistance. The bill now heads to the Senate. President Biden this week asked lawmakers to separate the Ukraine aid package from a measure on COVID relief funds in an effort to get the Ukraine bill through. Speaking of the Senate, it has confirmed Lisa Cook as a Federal Reserve governor, Vice President Harris breaking the tie vote on Cook's confirmation, and economist at Michigan State University is the first black woman to be named to the central bank's board. She becomes the second of President Biden's Fed picks to win confirmation following Fed Vice Chair Lael Brainerd. And Tesla has reportedly sent a shipment of cars from its Shanghai plant. According to reports, the EV maker sent more than 4,700 vehicles to Slovenia, the first batch of exports since the factory reopened last month. The report adds that Tesla is expected to ship another 4,000 cars on Friday. The news follows word yesterday that Tesla was facing production challenges at the facility due to parts shortages and ongoing COVID restrictions. Brian. All right, Savannah, thank you very much. We'll see you in a bit. All right, let's get back down to the markets and your money. As everybody out there kind of searching for a bottom in the ongoing wave of selling, but the worst may not be over yet. At least that's according to hedge fund legend Leon Cooperman, who spoke with CNBC yesterday on whether more selling may still be ahead. Listen. 
The best evidence of a bottom is a company comes out with disappointing earnings, the stock opens up down and closes the day unchanged up. We're not seeing that at all, at all. So I would say the stock market has not yet discounted the economic slowdown that we're experiencing, in my opinion. All right, that's Leon's opinion. Let's get more now and bring back in Annika Trion, Managing Director of Securities at Kempen. Annika, good to have you back on the program. Would you agree with Mr. Cooperman? Do you think the bottom is not in for stocks? And good morning as well. Thank you. He's made a great point. Look at look at Q1 earnings season. Almost 80% of the S&P companies that reported beat estimates. If you look at what the S&P has, has been doing, it certainly doesn't feel that way. So it's um, there is a huge amount of concern in the market about all sorts of things. It feels like a perfect storm. So he's, he's certainly making a good point. What to you is the biggest risk to equities? Is it inflation? Is it policy errors by Fed governors, both in Europe and here? Is it something else or are they all kind of connected? And I'm asking really the same question all in one, Annika. I think it's it's all kind of connected. It's it's this cocktail which comes together and it's all about the ultimate question. We're all asking it. Can the Fed pull off a soft landing? And there's huge trepidation around it because the statistical probability of doing so is very, very low especially considering that we're starting at shockingly high levels of inflation and extremely tight labor markets, which doesn't set for a, you know, a very high likelihood of being able to pull this off. Well, it's not just our Fed, is it, Annika? I mean, this is a worldwide phenomenon. We've got the, the European Central Bank, the, the UK's Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, all kind of acting in, acting in concert in the same way. Do you think this will be a global soft landing, or is every country going to kind of screw it up? Well, the, the, the thing is, and this is where you really get into the nitty gritties, because it's all been rather orchestrated in a very similar way with regards to how the pandemic hit us all, how the central banks had to sort of all come together and look at support from a monetary policy perspective, but governments doing it from a fiscal policy perspective. You've started to see the differences creep in. You've started to see the Bank of England being very much leading the ECB. You've seen clearly, which is no surprise at all, of course, the Fed being leading. But if you, if you talk about the ECB specifically, this is really problematic. This is not only about the problem of how can you needle the thread, needle the thread and manage inflation without triggering a recession. The ECB has this yeah. inherent problem of managing you know, 19 member states with, with one policy regime. So what is what are you and what is Kempen advising your clients to do regarding equities around the world right now, Annika? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the only thing you can do is get really, really nitty gritty, you know, relying on. Well, first, the, the first point is shifting away from what we've all got a little bit accustomed to. Well, a lot of people have come accustomed to the EV sales approach back into real cash flow back into looking through the P&L, back into looking at the balance sheet of businesses. That's one. And the other one is, you know, back to the classic fundaments around fundamental investing, really, getting nitty gritty, understanding the businesses. You know, the, the past era of, of companies which have been showing losses without a clear path into, you know, into improvement, cash flow positive territory, that's going to be very complicated. 
That's a great point. Actually doing the hard work, digging into company fundamentals, income statements, balance sheets, not just throwing a dart at the wall, which, is, by the way, has worked for the majority of the last two years. Annika Trian of Kempen Securities. Appreciate you always coming on, Annika. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, we've got a lot more to do, including your morning's big money movers and shares of one video game company taking a big hit. It's your mystery chart. Plus, Elon Musk reportedly getting more locked into taking Twitter private funding secured. And the end of an era, Apple officially pulling the plug on one of its all-time biggest products. We'll tell you about it after 20 years. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, it's time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the day, and I apologize in advance for these because they're all down. The first one is a biggie. That is Coinbase, the crypto trading app posting a first quarter loss and lower than expected sales. Coinbase losing more than 2 million users from the platform as it cites the impact of lower volatility and prices for cryptos. In other words, customers are bailing because they were probably losing money. Coinbase also expects trading volume this quarter to be lower than was seen in the first quarter. That stock is now down 18% right now, which means it's down more than 80% from its all-time high of 368 a share just six months ago. Wow. Stock number two is Roblox, the gaming site, reporting a first quarter wider than expected first quarter loss. Bookings fell 3%. That also missed estimates. The company expects net loss to continue for, quote, the foreseeable future due to higher expenses and a slowdown in demand from the highs of the pandemic. People are back to school. Shares down a touch, but they also fell about 5% on Tuesday. And stock three continues this trend, and that is Unity Software. This will likely be your disaster du jour. Shares are down about 28% right now. The company's first quarter results were in line with estimates. However, it gave weak revenue guidance for the rest of the year. Wall Street doesn't like that. With the pre-market declines, Unity has now lost three quarters of its market value. A tough run, no doubt, for all three of those stocks this morning. All right, still on deck on this Wednesday, potentially major setback for solar. More details on a fight that could hurt the growth of renewables. And that fight is coming from the federal government. Stock futures, they're higher. We're back right after this.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Stock futures, they are in the green on this Wednesday morning. Dow futures up 313 points. NASDAQ futures up the most. Up about 1.4%. All this is bond yields actually fall. Oil is up as well. And a lot of news around crypto. All right, so looking a little better this morning. Although, keep in mind, Dow futures were higher at this time yesterday. And that index ended lower. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's other headlines, including more raging fires in New Mexico and a big night for an angel in Anaheim. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with that and more. Francis, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Today, the Capitol senators are expected to vote on abortion rights. A bill is going to the floor that aims to codify the protections of Roe versus Wade into federal law. It is not expected to reach the 60-vote threshold to bypass a filibuster, but Senate Democrats want to get lawmakers on the record and are linking the vote to the midterm elections. Now to that extreme fire danger in the Southwest. Red flag warnings are up in about eight states. About a dozen massive fires burning. The largest is in New Mexico, burning more than 200,000 acres. Thousands of residents have been forced to evacuate as crews try to get a handle on the blazes. It was an angelic performance for Reed Detmers against the Rays. The Angels rookie tossed a career-high 108 pitches, but he threw a no-hitter in just his 11th career start. It is the second no-hitter of the season and the first no-no for the Angels since 2019. Los Angeles beat Tampa Bay 12 to nothing. For your midweek headlines, Brian, we got you covered. Back to you. As a lifelong Angels fan and somebody went to Angels Country Baseball Camp under the legendary Augie Garrido in 1979 through 1982, it was very nice to see. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. Sure thing. That's random, but not that interesting. It was California back then. All right. One thing that is up this morning and way up lately is the U.S. dollar. It is near a 20-year high. The dollar index, which tracks the greenback versus six major rivals, it's climbed more than 8% this year. More cash coming into U.S. dollars as investors worry more about the rest of the world. Now, this move is impacting nearly everything you buy. So it's a big question. Where's it headed? Let's get more insight now from Kamakshia Trevetti, co-head of Foreign Exchange Rates and Emerging Market Strategy at Goldman Sachs, joining us by phone. Welcome. Uh, it's been a heck of a run for the U.S. dollar. Do you see it moving even higher or is this it? 
Hi, good morning. Yes, it has been a very strong run, but uh, it's actually been a run of two parts. Uh, in, until about the end of March, the dollar strengthened mainly against other uh, developed market peers, places like the euro area, the yen, uh, you know, the UK, where, you know, given that the US was about to start tightening monetary policy more aggressively than these others. Since April and in the early part of May, what you've seen is a slightly different kind of dollar strength, which is much more broad-based, including against a whole range of emerging market currencies. And that's coincided with more fears about a recession or a slowdown in the global economy. And, you know, China has been part of now this dollar move as well. The CNY has weakened quite considerably. So, yes, while it's been a very strong run, it's come in two different flavors. And both of those impulses, the, uh, the, the, the fact that the U.S. is tightening perhaps faster than many of its developed market peers because of domestic inflation issues, but also because the dollar, as you said, is a safe haven asset when things are worrying in the rest of the world, both those forces are now contributing towards dollar strength. Are we going to go to parity one-to-one with the euro anytime soon? Look, I mean, parity at the end of the day is just a number. I mean, and, and it is a case that if you continue to see uh, the U.S. tighten policy faster than the euro area is able to, to tighten itself and, and, and deliver you know, uh, higher rates, um, then the dollar from that standpoint, at least the dollar impulse will continue to be strong. And yes, you will see you know, further, further dollar strength and euro weakness, even, even relative to current levels. I mean, the one place where we do see you know, much more dollar strength, you know, which is sort of on the periphery of the euro area is, is, is the UK in, in sterling. You know, that's a place where we see, you know, the Bank of England, even last week when the Fed so-called delivered a, a hike that was perceived as being somewhat dovish by the market, a 50 basis point hike, mm-hmm. it still managed to out-deliver the UK, and therefore you're seeing more weakness in, in sterling. So we're more confident about that. That's the view we, we like to express, uh, you know, sterling shorts through our, through our trade recommendations. Beyond that, I think a lot will depend on today's uh, CPI release in the U.S. If there is a clearer sign that there is a peak in U.S. inflation, uh, that you're sort of seeing the highs and that those highs are then behind us, that is the kind of news or development that you need to see to finally start putting a break or slowing the pace in the, in the strength of the greenback. Yeah. It sounds like you're kind of saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Kamakshia, but uh, that people are just kind of temporarily parking their money in the U.S. dollar and waiting for something maybe better or something else to do with it. Is that fair? I think we are in a very uncertain period. I mean, as uh, Chair Powell himself said, there's a kind of narrow path here to uh, a soft landing, one where inflation peaks and starts moving lower, but the economy also avoids a severe downturn in the U.S. and the rest of the world. And if we can, you know, get to that narrow path, then absolutely. I think there are going to be other more interesting, higher-yielding cyclical assets and cyclical currencies, you know, be that things like the Canadian dollar or emerging market currencies, uh, which are going to be much more interesting to investors. But on either side of that narrow path, if the U.S. is going to have to hike much more aggressively uh, because inflation remains a persistent and stubborn problem, or in the process, if it tips the economy over into a much more weaker position, 
on both sides of that, you have some sort of dollar strength. And so I wouldn't call it temporary, but I do think that in a sort of, when you think about the whole distribution of outcomes possible, there are at least a couple of them that are leading you to dollar strength. Uh, but I think if you get to that sort of narrow path, that's going to be the way that you see this dollar strength start to abate and then, you know, seeing some of the other more cyclical currencies do better. Yeah. Yeah, just been really an amazing run for the U.S. dollar, Kamaksha, and impacting every commodity that's traded in dollars around the world. Kamaksha Trevetti of Goldman Sachs, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. All right, on deck, just how much higher can overall prices go? Or has inflation finally peaked? We're going to set you up for today's huge number that Kamaksha just referenced on inflation. And a gentle reminder to follow our podcast. You miss the show any day. We get it. It's early. You can check us out later on. We're on Apple, Spotify, and many other podcasting apps. And we are back with Stock Futures Higher right after this. Inflation, a big-time read, just three hours away, and it could be a major market mover today. Calling out China, the head of the World Health Organization, warning that China's COVID-0 policy is, quote, not sustainable. This is China continues to forcibly remove citizens from their home, even if they don't test positive. And have reports of the death of coal been greatly exaggerated. We've got some surprising new stats from the federal government itself. It is Wednesday, May 11th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Wednesday morning, everybody. It's exactly 5.30 on the nose. Thanks for joining us. Get right now to the markets and your money and stock futures. They are in the green. They are higher across the board. In fact, we're seeing gains on the NASDAQ of more than 1.5% right now. Dow futures up just under 300, of course. Need I remind you, we were kind of here yesterday and the NASDAQ did end higher, but the Dow did not. So it's early. Futures are nice, but they're not everything. In the meantime, bonds, 10-year yields, they are continuing to go down. So we're actually seeing bonds get bought the last couple of days. And remember, we've got some potentially market-moving inflation data out this morning, right around 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. That report could be huge. In energy, oil is back higher. After falling a bit on Tuesday, it is back above $103 per barrel. Natural gas is up. And wholesale gasoline prices also at new record highs, which means, we're sorry to say that gas prices are likely to rise again at your local station. And in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether on the move as well. But the story today will be this. The so-called stablecoin, the UST made by Terra, it is tanking. At one point hitting just 31 cents on the dollar again. This is supposed to be tied directly and pegged to the American dollar. So this move, all happening overnight, is very, very unusual. The creator, Terra, who is in South Korea, saying they are close to announcing some kind of, quote, recovery plan soon. Not sure what that means, but we are trying to find out because obviously there are a lot of very frustrated, probably nervous, probably angry investors right now in what is turning out to be a not-so-stable stable coin. That is going to be a very big story there. Watch, uh, watch the headlines. All right. Also making headlines, Shanghai reporting half the city has achieved so-called COVID zero status, meaning no cases. But officials there say strict restrictions must remain in place under some kind of national policy. Now, even the World Health Organization is getting frustrated, calling 
China's bizarre strategy, quote, unsustainable. This is many families literally imprisoned in their own homes, struggling to find enough food to eat. Wow. Apollo Global is reportedly in talks to lead preferred financing for Elon Musk's Twitter bid. Bloomberg reporting the funding is arranged by Morgan Stanley and will exceed $1 billion. Shares of Twitter, by the way, are trading below Musk's offer price of $54.20. Traders are skeptical about the transaction being completed. Twitter at $47.75. And it's the sad end of an era at Apple, announcing it will no longer make the legendary iPod. This is more than two decades after the device was first introduced. Now, you can still buy the iPod Touch online and at stores while supplies last. The iPod, by the way, changed everything. For the first time ever, you could keep all your music on one device and the battery seemed to last forever. I actually still use my 180 gig iPod in my car. True story. So kind of the end, I don't know what that, that's the iPod mini. Not sure what that thing is. That lasted about a, a week. There's the super mini where you couldn't even actually see the song, but it would tell you what the song was. So rip iPod, still available by the way, maybe a museum piece. I'll show you mine later on on the Twitter. All right. Back down on Wall Street, everybody out there bracing for the release of April's Consumer Price Index due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time today. Most economists expect the report to show headline inflation rose about two-tenths of a percent last month or about 8.1% year-on-year. That is compared to March's historic 1.2% month-over-month increase and 8.5% year-over-year gain. But whether it's 8.5 or 8.1, who cares? This is nearly record inflation. Joining us now is NetWest Markets' Michelle Girard. Michelle, it's great to have you back on. And I'm not trying to be glib about it, whether it's 8.1, 8. <laughs> 8.5, 7.9. Does that matter? Does the headline number <laughs> matter? It's high. Well, it's super high. It is. It's super high. It is. I, I think it will matter that that year-over-year number ticks down. I mean, I think that's the first thing that markets will look to is has do the numbers suggest that inflation has peaked and and at least it's not moving higher and and that is our forecast both with respect to the month of april we we we're a little bit higher than the consensus um we're looking for a month over month gain of three tenths which would only take that year over year to 8.2 but the bottom line is going forward we do see that year over year number coming down so again optically it you may have some some confirmation or certainly evidence to suggest the, the worst is behind us. So check that box. But, you know, we do have to focus on these month over month changes. That's going to be very important. And if you strip out food and energy, which I'm only stripping out because of the volatility. And this month, you will see energy prices come off for the for the for the month of May. Um helping to hold that headline down. If you strip that volatile, those volatile components out, I don't think the numbers are going to be all that great. We're looking for a half a percent increase. It's a little better than the pace we've been seeing, yeah. but way too high on a sustainable basis. Well, you know, used cars have been such a huge part of this. And whatever you think about the makeup of the CPI data, we can argue that at some other point. But the Mannheim Auto Index, which is kind of the benchmark, Mannheim's a huge uh, auto auction Mm -hmm. in in Mannheim, Pennsylvania, that they use as kind of a benchmark, has actually rolled over. Used car prices are starting to roll over pretty good. I mean, if you're buying a car, it's good news. So headline inflation may actually come down. But does that mean it really is getting better? Well, and that's what we were saying. If you strip out 
some of the volatile, you know, the volatile components like food and energy. And again, energy has been a big part of the increased um, higher inflation story. And at least for this month has, has abated. The numbers are not are, are not that encouraging. Now, you mentioned used car prices, which had which previously, you know, last year had put a lot of upward pressure on the core rate of inflation. They they came off sharply last month. We expect they'll be off a bit uh, further um, again uh, now in April. I'm sorry, I misspoke the month before. These are April numbers. But, but you know, used car prices, you mentioned if you want to go buy a car, we think the used, sorry, we think the new car price numbers this month are going to be very firm. We've got them rising yeah. over a percentage point. And the other area of, um, you know, if you look more broadly away from the goods categories, but some service prices, whether we're talking about rent and and housing, you know, more broadly, or whether we're talking about hotels and airfares, we see a lot of firmness there. Again, if you're running a half a percent a year over year a month, that is, you know, that's what that's a six percent annualized increase that you, yeah. you can't, you know, for the Fed, that that's not ultimately going to be what they're wanting to see. Is there anything quickly, Michelle, anything in the numbers today that could change Fed thinking and change the Fed's trajectory on interest rates? Not this month, because I mean, I think they've been very clear signaling 50 basis point increases back to back in June or July are the base case. If optically the numbers suggest, hey, maybe we have seen the peak, I think they'll yeah. feel comfortable enough to stick with that. Either way, it's going to be red hot. Michelle Gerard and Nat West, we'll always appreciate Thanks, your news. Get ready, 8.30 a.m., Michelle. All right, thank you. Take care. Take care. All right, coming up, the rollout of solar panels across America hitting a brick wall, and it's because of the federal government. That story ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stick around. It is time now for your morning RBI. And today, let's get random but interesting on energy, because it really has been the story of 2022 so far. And a new report from the government says that it's likely to stay a big story for the rest of this year and into next year. Now, that report covers oil, gas and electricity and even coal. And there are a lot of really interesting takeaways from it. First, on oil. The EIA saying that despite all the political groaning about stingy U.S. oil producers, Oil production is actually set to hit a new daily record next year at about 12.8 million barrels per day. That would trump 2019's 12.3 million barrel a day output on average. You think that would come up once in a while in political conversation. But anyway, even with expected higher production, the agency also sees continued high prices. With Brent crude in Europe staying above $100 per barrel for the rest of this year, and falling just below that to 97 next year. Though the EIA says that this forecast is, quote, highly uncertain given the Russian war. Now, none of this may be that surprising or random or interesting, but this may be. The EIA is also predicting overall electricity use will grow a little bit this summer, even with cooler weather predicted. The expected solar and wind will provide about 11% of our electricity needs this summer. That's up nicely from last year. But the government also rather sheepishly says that coal production will actually rise from last year, up about 3% from 2021. That is actually below their previous forecast for coal's growth. It is the very last thing they put in their press release. And who can blame them? Talking about the growth of coal as a source of power. It's 2022. It seems impossible. But it's not. But hopefully it is. Random but interesting. 
All right, let's stay on energy now. As badly as America wants to grow out renewables like solar, there's actually a big problem happening right now. The Department of Commerce recently opened up an investigation into alleged dumping of cheap solar panels from Asia. At issue is whether solar panels from some Southeast Asia countries are actually coming from China under false pretense from other nations. And as a result, Chinese panel makers are halting most solar imports. That is going to cut solar installations by a lot. Your next guest calls this one of the most disruptive events ever to face the U.S. solar industry. Marcelo Ortega is a renewables analyst at Rystad Energy and joins us now. Uh, Marcelo, thank you very much. How big of a deal is this Commerce Department investigation for U.S. renewables growth? Hi, Brian. So this is a very disruptive event. Uh, we're estimating that around 64% of 2022's installed or potentially uh, to be installed solar PV capacity is at risk of being either delayed or outright canceled. Uh, and as you mentioned, it just boils down to the fact that uh, the threat of tariffs being imposed on suppliers coming from Southeast Asia is being enough uh, of a risk. So uh, importers are deciding not to uh, bring any other equipments into the United States. This is very uh, disruptive for the industry because in 2021, 85% of the imported panels into the, the country uh, came from the four uh, Southeast Asian nations on their investigation, specifically Malaysia, Vietnam, Thailand, and Cambodia. How long might this last? Uh, that's a great question. So the Department of Commerce decided to start an investigation uh, around the, eight, uh, the, the end of March. Uh, their preliminary decision will be done by August, and the final one is scheduled to be in uh, January 2023. But the impacts of this investigation might be felt uh, for longer than that. Uh, specifically, if tariffs are imposed on Southeast Asian uh, panels, uh, it will take around... 18 months for any given um, planned capacity manufacturing of solar PVs in the United States to become operational. So if anyone decides to build a, a PV module facility after uh, January 2033, we would see that capacity uh, coming online in 2025. Yeah. Well, what, so what's odd about this story in some ways here in America is that this was brought by the Commerce Department on behalf of petition from a, an American solar company, a small company called Auction Solar. They said, we think this is happening. The Department of Commerce investigates, and they picked up this investigation. So it is a U.S. company looking to get breaks for the U.S. and say, we can't compete against these cheap imports. But at the same time, it does damage the rollout. And, and talk to us about how once power systems are in place, you're not going to swap them out. So the longer that solar does not get installed... Aren't people then just going to look for other alternatives, which then are kind of locked in for the long term? Yeah, that is a great point. Uh, we're definitely seeing some uh, coal plants that were scheduled to be phased out. Uh, they're being pushed, uh, they're phased out dates uh, two years down the road now in some cases, uh, specifically due to the supply chain constraints on uh, panel uh, imports into the United States. So uh, anytime that there's a hiccup in the installation of solar power. Um, it's a longer time where fossil fuels 
will remain in, in the grid. Yeah, we didn't get into steel. That's another investigation going on affecting U.S. oil drilling. But I know it's a different analyst, Marcelo Ortega. Oh, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. A really big story there. Not getting a lot of attention. Take care. All right, on deck, John Najarian is here, and he is going to cut through some of the arcane language of the options market and give you what he is seeing right now, including why stocks may not be done going down, even with futures higher this morning. And, of course, during May, we are celebrating... Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and featuring a lot of our friends, teammates, and contributors. Here is CBC Town producer Jeanette Chin. I'm the daughter and granddaughter of Chinese Americans, and growing up, my grandfather took care of me while my parents went to work, and he is the biggest influence in my life to become a journalist. He told me stories of coming to America and traveling by train to different cities looking for work. And I knew that by becoming a journalist, I would be able to see different parts of the country and meet different people, just like my grandfather. And here at CNBC, I get to meet people who make history on a daily basis. And for me, that is a dream come true. And I think my grandfather would be very proud. All right, welcome back. It's going to be a very busy day once again. And here's sort of your morning calendar setting you up for the day on Wall Street. The biggie, of course is that April Consumer Price Index. It's a big measure of inflation. It could move markets. That comes out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. you got the April federal budget, 2 o'clock Eastern. Nobody cares about that. But you might care about this. Earnings after the bell from Disney. That stock's been a disaster. Beyond Meat and Bumble also out after the bell. And from FedSpeak, you will hear from Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic at the World Affairs Council of Jacksonville. That, at noon, of course, CNBC will bring you. Any headlines you may need to know. All right, let's find out what else we need to know about where the options market is being set up and bring in our friend. That is John Najarian, CBC contributor and co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. John, great to have you back on. Uh, certain indivi- Yes, sir. Likewise. Thank you. Certain individual stocks I want to talk about. But are you seeing any macro market positioning? I mean, you know, options bets for or against the S&P 500? And if so, in what direction? Um, right now, Brian, uh, we've seen a predominance of bets against the market. That doesn't surprise anybody, I'm sure. Um, but the size of these bets has been growing uh, exponentially. And so right now, just yesterday, a big spy trade, which is, of course, the spider for the S&P 500, one-fifth the size. Um, they bought almost 20,000 puts out in September at the 370 strike, uh, which most of us would say... 380 to 385 is more or less where we would expect a very significant stoppage uh, and a bounce uh, for the S&P 500. Somebody wanted protection beneath that just in case, and they bought nearly 2 million share equivalent uh, for that, Brian. So that was a big trade. Other than that, they just continue to hammer on these small caps through the IWM and expressing a, a bearish view through those options. Why is everybody hating on small caps, John? I thought they were supposed to be tied to the U.S. economy, and I thought the U.S. economy, we keep being told, is strong. Yeah, it is not gangbusters uh, at all. Um, and in fact, people are, it, there's pretty clear signs that people are hunkering down, Brian. Um, we've seen time and time again consumer discretionary and just regular consumer staple stocks with massive bets to the downside um, and warnings 
subsequent to that uh, that, hey, the consumer's fine, but they're just not buying as much at these prices. And the choice is, of course, uh, the company eats that extra rather than passing it on to the consumer, um, which means, uh, of course, profitability goes down um, and those people want to keep their jobs. So that that's not what they want. Or inflation goes up. Now, you cite that inflation number today. That is going to be very key, especially that uh, uh, volatile food and energy. And we talk about that a lot, you and I, especially the energy side of that. At least that's moderated for the last little bit with China being shut down. But uh, that could be a very temporary thing, Brian. Well, as long as you don't eat or heat or cool your home or send your kid to college right. or have health care bills, you're probably free of it. You're probably f- free of inflation. Uh, John, from an individual stock perspective, listen, Coinbase, that stock uh, earnings were bad. Guidance was bad. The stock is down 19 percent right Ooh. now, but it is now down more than 80 percent. Yeah. Now down more than 80 percent from its three hundred and sixty eight dollar share level back in November. So in what, I don't know, five or six months it's lost over 80% of its value. You see any options activity there? Yeah, sadly, Brian, you know, April 21st, you know, which isn't five months ago, it's more like less than five weeks ago, uh, they were buying the 120 puts uh, when the stock was 140. And you figure, okay, that's going to be a bad report probably. Well, I've rolled those puts down now 14 times. And uh, my latest ones, I was down to the 75 puts, meaning I was taking profits, buying new ones, taking profits, buying new ones all the way down. And now, like you say, uh, the stock almost getting cut in half again this morning. Um, It's just a bloodbath for that stock, the sector. You know, you've talked about the peg not holding with some of these stable coins, at least one stable coin. I shouldn't say plural but one stable coin. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously been bad news for everybody in the space. Listen, you're a big crypto guy, John. Obviously, this UST, this stable coin, it was down at 31 cents. It's supposed to be tied one to one to the dollar. It all kind of happened overnight. The, the creators, a company called Terra, they're in South Korea and they put out some statement to CNBC or CNBC got a statement effectively saying they're going to find a solution or a recovery soon. Not really sure what's going on. Do you have any insight into that? And what do you make of it? Well, yeah, this was one where they basically uh, they were giving people about a 20 percent return on their deposited crypto and so forth. And then they were trading that crypto to try to hold that peg at one. Um, Obviously, it worked for a while. And then quite obviously, again, it didn't work uh, overall. And uh, then the market just feasted on it, and they've driven that one down. Like you say, uh, it, it looks like it's going away. That one is just egg over everybody's face, including, of course, our friend Novogratz, who just got a tattoo on his arm about this one, calling himself a lunatic. I think anybody that owns it feels like a lunatic right now. If somebody's offering you 20%, guaranteed on anything shouldn't that raise an eyebrow john i mean i don't care what we're talking about right farmland gold crypto yeah it should brian um and but you know sometimes greed does take over and but this is not just staking yeah this was you know they were trading this algorithmically to try to hold it to a buck and i just don't know how you can do that 
key word there is try. There's a, a great Simpsons line. You tried and you failed. The lesson here, yep. never try. John Nigerian, co-founder <laughs> of MarketRebellion.com and our friend. Thank you very much. I'm quoting the great Homer, Homer Simpson. All right, that does it for us here. We'll see you in 23 hours on Worldwide Exchange. Big day of coverage next with Squawk. They're next. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.